Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here, and happy October 1st. I can't believe it's October already. So we got a lot going on in October. The first thing I want to draw your attention to, our student ministry is having a mini retreat on October the 8th. So if you're part of the student ministry, you want to talk to Zach Walsh or go on the student page of the website to sign up for that, and that's going to be a fun time for our students. And then for our children, we are having a fall festival October 21st from 4 to 7 out here in the Weems Road parking lot. And we need people to provide trunks for trunk or treat. So if you want to do that, you can sign up on the website. There's a big banner on the homepage. Or you can talk to Barbara Port. And to make trunk or treat successful, we need candy. And there's a donation box out here. There's one in the Family Center. I think there's one in the Fellowship Hall to go buy those huge bags of candy and drop them off so that we have a successful trunk or treat as part of our fall festival. And one thing I'm really excited about, Barbara Port got to go to Blanchard Thursday to celebrate their Owl of the Month Outstanding Students, and she got to talk about fall festival. And the kids asked questions, and one of the questions she got was, have y'all got your banner up on the corner yet? So here you go, y'all. We're making an impact in the neighborhood. This is awesome. These kids know that when that banner changes, something exciting is happening at Morningside. So yay for that. And thank you, Barbara, for doing that. And you're also going to see out here in the lobby, there's a display table for Operation Christmas Child. Each week, we are collecting different types of items. And then in November, we're going to pack all the boxes hopefully 400 because that's our goal. So look at that. You're going to get an email every Monday telling you what the item is for that week. And there are also some cards out there you can pick up, stick in your purse, and have with you when you go shopping so you know what to get. So we have one more really big announcement that Pastor Jonathan is going to come take care of. Yes, indeed. So every year of the first and second Sundays in October, we have an opportunity, if you're a member of Morningside, you have an opportunity to make nominations for the two uh, appointed offices here at Morningside. So you may have picked up a ballot when you came in today, and if you haven't yet, then you'll want to pick up your ballot. You can also uh, submit a ballot online, not a paper ballot but a digital ballot online. You just have to make sure that you type in your name and we register that as your signature. So the two offices, and they're explained here on the ballot and also on the website, uh, are elder and deacon. And so on one side, you have the deacon ballot where you can nominate uh, up to four names. And then on the reverse side, you have up to two names uh, for elder. And so these two uh, officers are the uh, biblically defined offices here in the church. And so any member, can, uh, any male member, and the, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the specifications are laid out here, both biblically and also in terms of what our Constitution says. So you uh, read this, go ahead and pray over it if you would, and you can submit your ballot uh, in the office uh, on a Sunday morning. You can submit it online up until the Saturday before two weeks from today, which the date is the 14th. So you have from today until uh, Saturday, October 14th, to submit your ballot. So please do pray for that. Uh, our elders and our deacons are so vital, along with their wives and their families, are so vital to the work that we do as a church here at Morningside. And so please do um, take this very seriously and prayerfully 
and thank you. Um, Julianne, would you pray for us as we enter into worship? are putting before us, Lord, to serve um, each other within the walls of Morningside, but also, Lord, to reach out to our community. And Lord, the excitement of these kids about this fall festival is just a small taste of where you want to lead this church. Lord, we thank you for all that, and we trust that you will use us, that you will use our resources. And Lord, we just ask that you be with us as we enter into worship, Lord, that you speak to us through the songs that we sing, and Lord, that you would speak to us through Pastor Jonathan's message, and that as we leave here, Lord, we would carry that spirit with us. We ask all of these things in your precious name. Amen. We're so glad you're here. If you'll stand up with us this morning as we prepare for worship.
We serve a Lord who is with us, who meets us in our times of need, and when we are weak, he is strong. He paid it all so that we could be united with the Father and find our strength and hope in him. Let's sing together. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus, Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all. stain he washed it white as snow oh it's washed away thank you Jesus and when before the throne I stand Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Sing it out to him. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sing 
left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Oh, we sing Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he written in John. Then his disciples said, at last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything and there's no need to question you. From this we believe that you came from God. Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming Indeed, it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you all this, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. 
we can trust in Jesus. He has overcome the world. We trust you, Jesus, you alone. Who is the great King of glory? Seated on high in the heavens, oh, Jesus, you alone. You are the Lord God Almighty, strong in compassion and mercy, oh, Jesus, you I've searched the world for love that could fill my heart and nothing compares to the wonder of who you are. Holy, all the earth singing, holy, all the angels cry, holy, Jesus, you Yeah. 
Jesus, you alone are worthy and holy. And Lord, we lift our praises to you. And Lord, we thank you that you will take the gifts and offerings that we give you and that you will multiply them, Lord, and that you will use this church and you will use these people, Lord. And we take this opportunity very seriously, Lord, and we thank you that you have blessed us so that we can in turn bless others. And Lord, as Pastor Jonathan comes to bring his message, Lord, we ask that you especially anoint him, Lord, that you speak through him and that we take his words to heart. In your precious name, amen. share with you I have this condition uh, it's a little awkward from time to time uh, it flares up every now and again I'm going to share it with you it's a little embarrassing but uh, you may actually uh, suffer from the same condition and it is I am allergic to pain I mean I'm desperately allergic uh, to pain to grief to suffering uh, to hardship it it causes a reaction in me I mean my, my eyes start to drip, my throat closes up, my heart races, my palms. Have, have you ever experienced this? I mean, have you ever experienced this kind of a reaction to pain and suffering? I mean, am I the only one that has this? I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable how quickly it comes over me and how, you know, at some point, at various points in my life, I've really been, I mean, I've practically been uh, on the point of needing to go to the hospital. Uh, it's a really severe reaction. And I imagine that you share this reaction because, let's face it, pain and suffering and hardship, <laughs> it stinks. Uh, can I get an amen? amen? Okay, so when Jesus says, in this world, you will have pain and suffering and hardship and affliction, I go, wait, no, you su you're supposed to have saved us from 
all of that. Uh, we were supposed to have, you know, we placed our faith in, faith in Jesus, and then we're like, we get our get out of pain and suffering, get out of jail free card, so that we don't have to go through all that. Jesus, what do you mean we will? What is going on? And, and so here we are in a real world facing real messes, and over the last uh, three weeks, this is week four, and this is my final message in this series. My hope is that you have seen the trajectory that human beings go through. God has put it in His Word, the, the pathway that grief follows through to where we are going to land today. And blessedly, and you may be even saying to yourself, uh, like my son said uh, to me on the way to church today, uh, Dad, when are we going to hear happy sermons again? <laughs> And I'm like, point taken, son. Uh, thanks so much. Yes. Uh, he's 11, right? So he, he has a, a very strong allergy to pain and suffering. And listen, we're even allergic to other pain, people's pain. We are allergic to other people's pain. OPP, other people's pain. We all have this condition, right? And uh, my wife and I, we were at a pastor's retreat this past weekend. And part of the retreat was um, uh, two counselors, a husband and a wife. And they were in their 60s. And they were up on the platform and they talked, you know, and there was humor and there was lightheartedness. And, and then there was talk of intimacy, right, which is code for you know what, right? And so they were doing all of this uh, talk up there and it was funny and it was awkward and it was, and then they got to a place and they were talking about communication. They're counselors and they do a lot of counseling with pastors and wives. They got to this point where they were talking about a very, very painful trial that they had gone through not six months earlier. Very painful. And as we all sat there, they wept they looked into each other's and they said to us, this is the first time we've stood in front of people and shared our story around this. And it was horribly painful. I won't go into the details because that's not what we're here for. It's their story. But as I wept, as I wept, I thought to myself, God, thank you so much for their openness and their vulnerability and their willingness to let us see their pain has not crushed them. It has not destroyed their love for you or their love for each other. But here's what happened. There was a break, and I got tears all down me, right? And I wasn't the only one, trust me. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the room, but we all got up and we went to the bathroom, kind of raced to the bathroom, right? Because it's like, quick, clean yourself up. And I, wouldn't you know, we got, this is pastors and wives. I got into the bathroom and it was, a, it was like anaphylactic shock. The allergic reaction was so severe. Every man in that bathroom had changed the subject and was laughing and talking about the weather and sports and anything to flush his system from what he had just heard. And I thought two thoughts to myself. I thought, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to sit with this. But then the second thought I, I thought was, if any of your wives heard you right now, you would be dead meat. <laughs> Because God forbid anybody would have heard that horrible suffering and then laughter. They might have thought to themselves, I don't think you heard the story. Or it's horribly insensitive of you. And so my goal with this series has not been to make everybody feel bad. But to reintroduce us 
to what the Bible offers to us, which is not, hey, rejoice with those who mourn. Nope. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. So, we're in the Bible, and people are suffering, and it's other people's pain, but every now and again, something comes into our lives, and we don't know what to do with it. We don't. And so, how, how should we? What should we? Well, what I hope is that we can come to Scripture for our, what should we do? Today's sermon is entitled, What Did I Do?, which I'm sure you've asked this question before. God, what did I do to deserve this? Well, what did what, I do? You know, I mean, hey, if I did something, just tell me, okay? And, and here's where we are. We are in the classic text for what did I do? It's Job chapter 31. Job chapter 31. Now, I could have gone anywhere in the book of Job, just about, and Job was complaining. In fact, there are, I think, 42 chapters in the book of Job, and 20 of those chapters are Job complaining. Job complains for 20. If you've ever read the book of Job, you're like, Is this, does this guy ever shut up? Because he goes on and on and on and on and on and on, and his friends are like, hey, you know, they're trying to talk with him, and he's like, you're lousy friends. I can't stand listening to you people, right? He complains about them. He complains about what's happened to him. He complains about God. And he's going on and on and on. And here we are. And Job chapter 31 is the last complaint of Job. The last word of Job before he goes like this. And shuts up. Now, I'm going to preach on one half of one verse. You say to yourself, hey, this could be a short one. It could be. It could be. You know, but hey, the Spirit leads, so no promises, all right? So, but I'm going to preach on one half of one verse, but I need to read the whole chapter so you can get the context. You can kind of get, I mean, this is the climax of Job's complaint. It's the height of his outcry. The previous chapter, he's cursed the day he was born. He's like, I should have never been born, and this is awful. But now he's in chapter 31, and I'm going to read the whole chapter so you get the context. Kind of long kind of long, but then I will tell you the half of the verse that I'm going to preach on today. You ready? All right, it's kind of long. Let me, let me just pray for us. Father, this is a long passage, and there's a lot in it. And my prayer is that we not get caught in the weeds so much as we hear Job's heart. We hear the heart of a human being who is crying out to you, why, God, what did I do? And that we find ourselves in Job's uh, shoes, that we find ourselves in this place of suffering and, and not understanding. And then, Father, help us to find our way through. You certainly did for Job. Do it now for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Job 31, starting in verse 1. It's long, so all right. Take a deep breath. Here we go. Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. For what is our lot from God above, our heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count every step? In other words, he's saying, if I'd done something bad, he'd have noticed. If I have walked with falsehood or my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales, and he will know that I am blameless. If my steps have turned from the path, 
If my heart has been led by my eyes, or if my hands have been defiled, then may others eat what I have sown, and may my crops be uprooted. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain, and may another man sleep with her. For that would have been wicked, a sin to be judged. It is a fire that burns to destruction. It would have uprooted my harvest If I have denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they had a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did he who made me in the womb not make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? If I have denied the desires of the poor, or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless. But from youth I reared them as a father would, and from my birth I guided the widow. If I have ever seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing, or the needy without garments, and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with the fleece from my sheep, If I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder. Let it be broken off at the joint. For I dreaded destruction from God, and for fear of his splendor, I could not do such things. If I have put my trust in gold, or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained, if I have regarded the sun in its radiance or the moon moving in splendor so that my heart was secretly enticed and my hand offered them a kiss of homage, then these also would be sins to be judged. For I would have been unfaithful to God on high. If I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune or gloated over the trouble that came to him, if if I I have not allowed my mouth to sin by invoking a curse against their life, if, if those of my household had never said, who has not been filled with Job's meat? But no stranger had to spend the night in the street, for my door was always open to the traveler. If I have concealed my sin, as people do, by hiding my guilt in my heart, because I so feared the crowd and so dreaded the contempt of the clans that I kept silent and would not go outside. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. I would present it to him as to a ruler. If my land cries out against me and all its furrows are wet with tears, if I have devoured its yield without payment or broken the spirit of its tenants, then let briars come up instead of wheat and stink weed instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. So you heard what he said, right? I'm flipping through every possible thing I could have done to deserve what's happening to me. I've flipped through what I do with money. I've flipped through what I do with my wife. I've flipped through what I do with my servants, with my land, 
with the poor, with the widows. I've flipped through the possibility that I've hidden secret sin in my heart and I've considered the possibility that maybe I committed idolatry and worshiped the sun and the moon and the stars or something. And would somebody in heaven listen to me? What did I do? But the word that I want to preach today is what the writer says when Job finally stopped talking. The words of Job are ended. After 20 chapters, and it's chapter 31, so it's interspersed, right? Interspersed with his three friends. I'm going to go, three friends, right? Because if you know the story of Job, you know that his friends weren't too friendly to Job. They were pretty sure he'd done something wrong. They were pretty sure. What'd you do, Job? I don't know what I did. Well, you must have done something. If I did something, let God tell me what I did, because I don't know what it was. I'm pretty sure I'm blameless. Well, nobody's blameless if they're suffering, Job. If you're suffering, it's from God. And if it's from God, this is the way it works. You do bad, you get bad. You do good, you get good. And you're getting bad, so just tell us. Just tell us. And Job goes on and on and on. And the point of this series has been, you can go on. Job did. Uh, we started with David uh, three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, it was Haman. You probably never heard of Haman. You might have been tempted to pronounce it He-Man. And the masters of the, you know, it wasn't He-Man. It was Haman. And then, and then last week was Jeremiah. And, we, and, and this week it's Job. And all four of these guys have said to God some form of the question, why is this happening to me? Some form of the question, why is this happening to me? And here we are, and Job is asking the question, what did I do? But that's where Job stops. And there's only three words in Hebrew. Words of Job ended. Words Job ended. In other words, Job's done talking. And the word in Hebrew, by the way, for have ended, uh, actually, uh, uh, it means expired. Like, um, tick, 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 ding, time's up. The opportunity for speaking is ended, but really, Job took, he stretched that opportunity as long as he, 20 chapters worth? It's a lot of words. Some of us stop after two. Why, God? And that's kind of all we needed to get out. <laughs> Some of us stop at zero, but that's, that's not actually taking the steps that David and Haman and Jeremiah and now Job and many others within Scripture have taken. Most of us handle our grief this way. We isolate. We internalize. And we intellectualize. Those are the three eyes of how most of us handle grief with pain and suffering. We isolate. Uh, I'm going to go out way by myself. We internalize. How are you doing? So how are you? 
You doing all right? You want to talk about it? That's what we do. And, and then we intellectualize, which is to say we try to think our way through it. We think thoughts like, well, I know who God is, and I know He would do this, and I know He wouldn't do that, and I think, 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 and I believe, and I believe, and I believe, and I don't know what's going on, but we are isolated, and we're internalized, so it never gets out. It never gets out. What we don't typically do is we, I'm talking about us here in this room and here in our culture, because uh, see, it wasn't always like this. You know, not every culture is the same, right? Some cultures are like, wah, out there out there. And, and some of us look at that and go, oh, that's not the way we should be grieving. That's embarrassing because we have that allergic reaction, right, to other people's pain. I went, I went to a, I did a funeral for a, uh, for a Haitian man. His Haitian sister was a dear, I called her my Haitian mare, my Haitian mother. Um, because every time I got sick, she would make this the best chicken noodle soup you ever had. She said it was a secret recipe, secret family recipe. And she would make it for me, and I had a big old pot of Haitian homemade chicken noodle soup. It was the best. And so I would be like, uh, I'm feeling a sniffle. And her name's Nosta. Dear sweet lady, dear sweet lady. Her brother passed away her younger brother. And it was such a beautiful story. His life was he had, uh, had kidney failure in his 20s. And his older sister, Nosta's older sister, had uh, donated a kidney for her, for her brother, Amos. And, and the, I don't know if you know this, but with kidneys, typically it's 10 to 12 to 15 years of kidney function before that donated kidney, kidney uh, fails. But he had 25 years. 25 years after his kidney transplant, he had two daughters, and they had been born after his life expectancy, um, and they were there. Um, but, but the part I want to tell you is this. So I came into the funeral, and I'd been asked to do the funeral, and she, Nosta had told me, and my friend, she had said, this is for my brother, and you need to understand there's going to be a lot of Haitians. I said, that's fine. I know you, and I know a few other Haitians, because there was a sort of a community in our church of Haitians. And I said, I love you, I love you, and hopefully, you know, hopefully they won't be mad that I'm not Haitian. <laughs> I said, oh, no, 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 don't you worry about that. <clears throat> but this is what happened. I came into the sanctuary, and I was standing sort of at the back of the sanctuary near the sound booth, and everybody was gathered, and there was some quiet worship music, you know, like we have playing at our, our what's that, our, I mean, white people, <laughs> Our services, quiet worship music playing in the background. And everybody's sitting quietly. And I, didn't, I had no exposure whatsoever to uh, how other cultures express grief. So what happened next was a complete surprise to me. So the oldest sister is the representative of the family. So when she stepped to the door at the back, everybody stood up. They saw her. She's a very elegant, very uh, stern-looking woman. I had met her before, just as sweet as can be, just as sweet as knows them. And as she stood at the door, she just started a 
cry. She started a, kind of started like a moan, and then it welled up into what I would call a wail. And I'm not going to demonstrate because I suspect it will make you feel very uncomfortable if I do. It did me. Made me feel very, it made the hair on my arms stand on end. As her voice started low, and then it came out of her, and then everyone in the room picked it up and went up. And I, all I can tell you is my eye, I had an allergic reaction. My eyes burst with tears. I felt electric, like, oh my word, how am I going to get up here in a minute and preach a sermon when this is what's going on? And it went on as she walked down the aisle, everybody just crying and wailing and wailing and crying. And I remembered, this is what Jesus walked in on at the tomb of Lazarus. This is what he walked in on. And it says when he saw them grieving and weeping, it says Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and Jesus wept. And I go, okay, so I guess it's okay. I'm a mess. I'm weeping here. And she walks down to the front and she stops and everybody stops. And then we sang a worship song. How great thou art. And I was like, then sings my song. Yeah, I mean, it was like I was free. I wasn't like, At the graveside later that day, I was the only white person <laughs> surrounded by a sea of about 100, 150 uh, Haitian faces. And the first thing I said was, uh, I don't know if you've noticed or not, I'm not Haitian. And one guy goes, so sorry for you. <laughs> and they all laughed. And I said, but I do have a Haitian mother. <laughs> Here she is. No stuff. And I told the same story. I said, she makes me chicken soup. And I did my best to minister and hope that the Holy Spirit was translating my words into another culture. We all spoke English, but we spoke a different emotional language, you understand. And I come over here now to the scriptures and I go, I scratch my head and I go, wow, this is another culture too. It's not Haitian. It's biblical culture. It's a biblical culture of grief. And I was not raised in that culture. I mean, I was raised to, to love and trust the Word of God, but not raised to apply in certain circumstances. And when it comes to grief, I was trained the same way you were. Isolate, internalize, <laughs> intellectualize, figure it out, you'll be fine. Job, not so much. But now, here he is. He's out of words. And he stops talking. The words of Job are in. Time's up. Job, you've been regaling us with your wisdom. As you understand the world, as you look out in the world, and you see that God is just. 
And he would never allow something to happen to a, a holy and a righteous and a just person. That person must have sinned in some way. And now here's the secret of the book of Job. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you read this. But here's the secret. Turns out Job is just. Turns out Job is blameless. Turns out Job's done nothing. And nobody knows that except God and the devil. Because as the book begins, God starts out, hey, what's up, Satan? I mean, this is a little weird, right? It's a little weird. We don't normally think of God and the devil talking to each other. But here at the beginning in chapter 1 of the book of Job, uh, the devil walks in, you know, from roaming around, and, and God says, hey, where you been? Oh, roaming about here and there. And God says, have you considered in all your roaming? My servant Job, there is no one like him, righteous, blameless. I got right here in my hand a gold star for my servant Job. He's the best of the best, none finer. And what does Satan say? He says, yeah, well, only reason he said... He feels that way, Job, about you, is because you give him everything. Take away what you've given him. He won't love you so much then. And it's not like it's a bet. It's not like it's a bet. But God in his sovereignty says, all right, why don't we see which of us is correct? Me, God, I say he's righteous and blameless. Or you, Satan, you say he's only as righteous as his wealth and his privilege. And so Satan goes out and in one day takes everything Job owns, including his children. Now we'd be tempted at this point to say, oh, God is horribly cruel. God is horribly unjust. And all we need to say at this point is we don't get God. We don't get him. But what we can't say is God did wrong. Because when God allowed the enemy to do what he did, the book of Job says, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So see, had, had, had Job said, God, you've sinned against me, that would have been sin. Job didn't do that. So Satan comes back up to God and goes, well, all right, well, I did my best, but there's still one more trick up my sleeve, and it's, will you let me take his health? Will you let me take his health? And God says, you may take his health, but you must spare his life. Because how, how's he going to prove himself if he's dead? And so Satan goes, and these horrible pustules, boils, break out all over Job's flesh. And it says they're so painful, and the only, uh, the only remedy is to scrape with pottery, which sounds horrible, horrible. So not only has he lost everything, he's lost his health. He can't say, well, at least I have my health. But um, he got nothing. And his wife goes, why are you still clinging to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? In the very next verse, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And then we got 20 chapters of Job complaining because he doesn't understand why. We know why. We're reading it. And we know that the very thing that Satan is using to try to destroy what? Not Job's life. 
He can't touch Job's life. His wealth. No, no, no. Wealth comes and goes. His integrity. Satan's trying to get Job to sin. And God says, he's not going to. And so for all of these chapters, we're waiting to see, does Job ever figure it out? Do his friends ever figure it out? All his friends are doing is, we're pretty sure he did something wrong. And for all these chapters, they go by, they go by, and we know the secret. We know that God is going, not, how could you, Job? But you never will, Job. You never will give up on me. You will never lose heart. You will never turn your back on me. And all this is doing is proving what a treasure you really are. We think, how could God do it? God is thinking not, I want to test him to see if he'll fail. I want to show what a success he will be. That's the secret of the book of Job. Is righteousness will prevail. All right. But now, Job's done just about said everything he could and a silence descends upon the scene. Silence not unlike that day with the only righteous and blameless Son of God hung on spikes, crowned with thorns, and spoke his final words. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Job was done fighting. He was done striving. He was done wrestling. He was done thinking. He was done trying to figure it out. He was done defending himself. He was done complaining. He was done lamenting. He didn't have anything left. And in the same way, thousands of years later, Christ, the only righteous Son of God, says, I'm done. I'm done. I said just a few moments ago, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And a few moments later, he cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then John records his final words, the same words we find at the end of Job 31. I'm done. It is Silence. Silence. I mean, sure, there were people talking. And if you read the book of Job, in the very next chapter, there's this young guy that comes in. His name is Elihu. And he's been sitting along. The, we find out he's been sitting here on the sidelines the whole time, waiting for these fellas, these three guys, uh, Job's three friends, to finally convince Job that he's done something wrong, right? But the friends are done talking. 
and Job's done talking, and this young guy comes in and goes, hey, I'm going to teach you fellows a few things, and so I'm going to talk, and now I listen while you talk now. I'm going to talk, and you're going to listen, and he goes on and on and on, and nobody says a thing to him. (laughs) I mean, he talks, but it's just like noise. And if you read it through, he adds nothing. The point is here. There's stuff going on all around Jesus. And people going, I think he might be dead. Hey, what? And remember the centurion, truly this was a son of God, right? And so there's all this stuff happening. But as for Jesus, as for Job, it's over. It's done. No more complaint. No more striving. Now silence. Stillness. There's a place for silence and stillness. In your life, there must be. There were two places in Job's life, at the end of his speeches and at the beginning. This is interesting. In Job chapter 2, when Job's three friends, this is before all their speeches, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, they heard about the troubles that had come upon Job. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. That was their plan. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. These are common uh, expressions of grief and sorrow in Middle Eastern cultures. Then they sat on the ground with him, forget this, seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. I always say, uh, Job's friends came to minister to Job and they did so for seven days and what a fantastic job they did until they opened their mouths. We think words will comfort, answers will comfort. Hey, if I could just say a few things, uh, I'll help you out of your grief. And after all these chapters of talking, Job's no closer to comfort, but he is closer to this. Psalm 46, the first and last verses. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. He says, be still and know that I am God. Or Psalm 4, which gives us the entire contour of biblical grief. Here you go. The entire contour of biblical grief in four verses. Verse 1, we cry out, Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Not silent. Crying out to God. Why, God, what's going on? i got to talk to you. Help me, help me, help me. Verses 5 and 6, tremble. And do not sin when you, on your, when you are on your beds. Search your hearts and be silent. You've uttered your cry, and sometimes it takes 20 chapters to get it all out. Now, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Then what? In peace, I will lie down and sleep. This is Christ on the cross. It is finished. Now I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell 
and safety. I, uh, I learned about grief that day in that funeral. Or I should say it this way, I learned that there's a lot I don't know about grief that day in that funeral for Amos. And since that time, I have made it a practice to sit with people rather than try to divert them, rather than try to explain, answer, blah, blah, blah. And now here, I, 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 to, to this day, I'll have people sit with me and they'll go, I just don't understand why God would do this. I don't understand why he would. And I said, have you talked to him? No. Well, why not? Well, because you can't question God. And I'm like, it's in here. What do you mean you can't? Well, I just, I was raised to know that you can't ever say anything to God until you're all better. Oh, is that what you were heard? That's is that what you were taught. Is that what you heard? That's not Jesus on the cross. I had an experience, uh, and this actually is embarrassing. Uh, I don't think I've ever told this from the pulpit before, but there was a time when I had a really severe panic attack. It was toward the end of me completing my PhD dissertation, and I mean, I was so overwhelmed with work at, at, at church where I was serving. I was so overwhelmed with relationships, not, not in my biological family, but relationships with people. And I was doing all this work to finish my, and I was overloaded. And I remember we went on a family vacation. And on this family vacation, uh, um, we were with my parents and my sister and brother-in-law and their kids. And they all said, hey, let's go to the lake. And uh, they live in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so um, I'm sure, as you might guess, the water kind of chilly. Even in July, water's a little bit chilly in the mountain lakes up in the Blue Ridge, right? And so we went up there, and I'm looking at, I don't like swimming in lakes anyway, because, you know, you can't see the bottom, right? At least when you go to the beach, you go out, the waves knock you back, right? And it's like, it's really, I'm in riptide, right? But, I, and I grew up going to the beach, and I grew up sand and, and sun and all that, Florida, right? That's where I grew up. So mountain lake is not my, it, it's, it's not my jam. Not my thing. So, but here we are, and the kids all want to get in. Our kids are all strong swimmers, and they all want to get in the water and swim from the shore to this little island that's out in the center of the lake. And I'm like, all right, all right. I really haven't been swimming in probably years, maybe like as many as 10 years. But I've been a strong swimmer. I mean, I didn't think about the fact that, yes, but you've been studying and reading in a chair for your dissertation for years. You have done nothing but sit and read you're probably out of shape. I didn't hear that in my head, probably should have. So when they're all like, we're going to swim to the island, I was like, okay, I'm dad. I'm going to go with you. So I get in the water. It's like, oh, 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 oh. no, it's fine. Yeah, it feels great. Let's go, kids. And so like they're strong swimmers, but they're slow swimmers. And so I'm kind of mostly treading water as we go out and we go out and we go out and now I'm looking down and it's very dark. I can't see past right here on me. And I really don't know how deep this goes because I can't see. And I'm treading water and I'm like, because <gasps> it's so cold. And so I, I start to think, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I'm having a little trouble breathing here. <sighs> I can't breathe. And I'm looking down and I'm going, what happens if I stop breathing? If I stop breathing, I go down, but I can't breathe, and I'm treading water, and I'm losing my strength here, and there go my kids, and I'm like, wait, kids, hang on, hang on, and I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? I go, go to the island? I don't think I'm going to make it. Do I go back to the shore? I can't leave my kids. And where's Allison? She's on the shore, and I'm like, oh, 
help. And I'm like, but I'm a man. I can't yell help. I can't yell help. So I'm like, I got to get out of the water. I got to get out of the water. I got to get out of the water. And I'm like getting to the shore and I'm watching my kids go away. I'm a bad dad. I'm a bad dad. All this is happening beneath a serene exterior. (laughs) But in my head, I am having a panic attack. And I walk over to my mom and I go, I am having a panic attack. It was all inside me, you see. The, the, you know, the container of my soul got tipped over, and it's a mess inside. But, you know, I'm like, hmm, yes, I'm having a panic attack. And she goes, well, what's wrong? And I'm like, ha, 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 I just fell apart inside. And I'm like, I'm watching the kids, and they're swimming to the island. And Allison gets up and goes, she goes, well, it, one parent needs to be with them. She didn't know. She didn't know. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so she goes in the water, right? She goes in the water. And, and so I'm like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better. What do I do? The kids are almost to the island. What do I do? And I go, oh, wait, wait. I could just lay on my back. I can do that. That doesn't require any effort at all. I don't have to tread water. That's working too hard. I'll just lay on my back. And you know what I did? I went back in the water. This is like two minutes later. I lay on my back, and I just go, whoosh. Whoosh, whoosh, to the island. I made it. Be still. Shh. You're not God. You're not strong enough. You're treading water. Stop trying so hard to figure it out. Stop working so hard. God, I'm done waiting for answers to this pain, to this struggle, to this question, to this striving. I don't want answers. I want you. Meet me. And wouldn't you know it, when Job finally shut up, God showed up. Many of us want to skip to the end and not say a thing. But the fact is, we've got to go through that valley and come out the other side. Jesus went through the grave and came out the other side. Job went through his suffering. I had to go through that panic attack. I've had to go through, you have had to go through, we have to go through it. But on the other side, you know what happens to Job, right? God doesn't give him a single answer. He just says, basically, look, I'm God, and well done. You haven't sinned at all. I'm going to bless you. And this is a picture of resurrection. God gives Job back everything and then some, and we look forward to Jesus who said, it is finished. And Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ that he was willing to go through all of that, Philippians chapter 2, and therefore God has exalted him to the highest place. He was willing to lay down his life so that God might give it back to him. And now here we come to this table, and you have these questions, why God, what did I do? And he says, no, the question is, watch what I do. Watch what I do. 
what am I going to do? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide for you everything you need. I'm going to vindicate you. I'm going to bring you through to the other side. And we come to this table now, and all the deacons are like, on your mark, get set. Because what we're going to do right now is we're going to come to a place of silence and stillness and ask God to meet us with this picture. It is finished. No more striving. No more pain. No more questions. Only love, favor, blessing. Father, we've come now to your table, and we, with Job, are silent. We want to hear you. We want your presence. We don't want answers. We want love, comfort, strength. We will sit silent. We will be still and know that you are God. The words of Jonathan are ended.
was borrowed for three days his body there would not remain our God has Precious and holy name. Amen. 